Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You don't think that it's time that somebody cared enough to have a dream? Why are you getting so upset? This is not about you. Yes, it is. You are a human affront to all women, and I am a woman. At some point, you got to decide for yourself who you are. Can't let nobody make that decision for you. How do you go about getting an exorcism? I beg your pardon? Hi, this is Mark Kermode. Thanks for downloading this Kermode on Film podcast. I'm joined this week once again by uh, Jack Howard. This is a, uh, a kind of a Nolan reunion for us. Uh, we recently did our running down of the top 10 Christopher Nolan films before either of us had seen Tenet, and we did our, our top 10s, and we kind of argued about them over the course of three separate podcasts. It went on for so long. Yeah, we However, overdid it a little bit, I think. Well, you know, you can say <laughs> People don't overdid. seem to agree. People love it. Exactly. I, th- I just think we were the gift that kept giving, Jack. That's what I, it was. I agree. You're anyway, right. this. so what we're going to do on this podcast, we, we promised at the end of that uh, top 10, we said, OK, but all of this may be thrown you know, into the air by the arrival of Tenet, which at the point that we recorded that podcast, uh, we hadn't seen. We didn't think we it was have, ever going to come out. We didn't think it was. No, actually, that's right. We were still wondering whether it was going to come out this year. So now... Jack and I have both seen Tenet, and I should begin by saying that at the point that we're recording this, we haven't spoken since we last spoke. It wasn't like we were in a half or anything, but we haven't spoken. So I have no <laughs> idea what you thought of Tenet. And also, by the time this is going out, I haven't said anything publicly about Tenet anyway. So even if you've heard something on the radio with me talking on Radio 5, I'm recording this before that. So this is me and Jack on Tenet completely going in blind we should begin by saying the usual jack we are we we spoilering aren't we oh full spoilers there's going to be so many spoilers in this don't listen to this if you haven't seen tenet and if you are listening to this and you haven't seen tenet what why <laughs> why yeah. are you doing that i know Go i see also tenet, feel- come back to this I feel like we should be making some joke now about if you've already seen Tenet in the future, then you're coming back, you know, yeah. but I actually can't think of something smart enough to say, but you get the general gist, you know, is it possible time to Time travel spo- joke, time tra- it here. It's right, it's right. The best time travel joke you can think of, put it in now, quick pause. <laughs> that, well that was excellent. What a great joke. So um, let's try to keep this to, you know, to less than three podcasts. Let's try to do this because we're only doing one film. Um, I'm going to begin by saying to you, uh, so Jack, I've seen Tenet, you've seen Tenet. Which one of us is going to go first in terms of just the kind of opening salvo? And I'll leave it to you to decide who you want to go first. I will start. Okay. Brave. Okay. I've seen it twice, just so you know. I saw it twice in 12 hours. I saw it, I was, I was, I was, uh, planning on seeing it at 11 a.m. on Wednesday, the first screening that I could find. And then, um, I was invited that day to a screening on the Tuesday evening. Um, so that was quite bizarre. And when I sat down, Edgar Wright was sat in front of me and I was just like, this is weird. <laughs> what a weird experience to have seeing Tenet for the first time. Um, 
But okay, here we go. <clears throat> Just as a quick summary, I'm sure we all know, but Tenet is about uh, John David Washington, who plays somebody who's literally called the protagonist. The protagonist. <laughs> which we will talk about in detail, I'm sure, at some point on this podcast. Um, he is recruited into a secret organisation called Tenet, which he's given just the name and a gesture, which we didn't know about. Like, from the trailers, it was like, I'm going to give you just a word. But now it's the, the crossing fingers thing, which all I can see is David Brent. All I can see is like, <laughs> mm, synergy. I, that's all I can see is Brent doing that. But he, <laughs> he is recruited, recruited into a secret organisation. That's it. That's the, that's the film ruined now. <laughs> I just say, I'm, never, I'm not going to get that image out of my head. <laughs> he's recruited into a secret organization and sent down a rabbit hole to figure out what is going on with a um big bad guy called sator uh, and and it's an end of the world plot device type story and a espionage thing and it turns out that there is a thing called inversion where time is able to run backwards through certain objects and uh it's all very timey-wimey and very nolan but let's get into the spoilers and the opinion, shall we? Your duty transcends national interests. This is about survival. It seems bold. Bold, I'm fine with it. I thought you were going to say nuts. This is where our worlds collide. How would you like to die? Old. You chose the wrong profession. I thought that, I mean, first of all, like Tenet being the first film that was being released in cinemas after five months, I mean, what a amount of pressure to be put on a film. Like, it didn't ask for that amount of weight. It's kind of weird to go into it like that. No, although um, technically we should say it wasn't the first film. I mean, there had been films released before that. I went to the um, to the showcase in Southampton to see Unhinged, you know, the uh, um, which is basically fall, falling down with a lobotomy. But it is a film in which <laughs> Russell, Russell Crowe does the thing that he's really good at doing, which is putting on a huge amount of weight, shouting and running somebody over with a truck. And I have to say he did it very well. And actually that had been... They moved the date of that in America. There was a lot of stuff about that coming out in cinemas, being the reopening of American cinema. So that had happened. There was also a couple of things like um, Blackwater Abyss, the uh, you know the, the the killer croc or alligator movie that sequel that nobody knew they wanted. But you know there we go. So there. So it wasn't the first, but it, and it wasn't even the first big one because it was trumped by. Uh, sorry, you can't use that word anymore. It was <laughs> um, beaten beaten to the punch by uh, you know by Unhinged, which was a fairly big, although you know technically an independent release, but it was the film that got many people thinking, okay, cinema is starting again. Almost like the idea of, I will, I'm will, i willing to go back to the cinema for this. For Tenet, like, yeah, exactly, that's, yeah. That's kind of how that's, it felt. Yeah, exactly. So, Tenet is, for me, it was almost overwhelming. It, it moves at a breakneck pace. It's full of ideas. It's uh, The visuals are breathtaking. And it's all set to Ludwig Gorison's fantastic pulsating score it which, feels which, like which as far as i understand happened because hans zimmer was busy doing dune correct, so you yeah. know and you know there's a happy accident completely yeah and i wonder whether or not that collaboration is going to continue or whether or not it'll be just like a one-off when you know the one film that spielberg didn't work with john williams on like i wonder if it'll be like i'll go back to zimmer now or whether or not like he will go to ludwig again i i, I kind of hope that he does just because this had like zimmer-esque you know, it had that Nolan big brassy vibe to it, but it also felt very different to, to yeah. Zimmer as well. Oh, I thought it felt very different, um, yeah. 
It feels like a film that's celebrating the scale and the scope of cinema. Like it transports you from one beautiful location to another just in a blink of an eye. Like all of a sudden you're just you're just in a completely different country in a completely different beautiful location. Um, so I love that. The set pieces are obviously ginormous and done for real as well. Like, and you can tell, and obviously there's a big thing about Nolan um, doing things in camera whenever he can and making you feel like it's actually happening. And that really does land. So when um, you're seeing a plane crash or you're seeing a car topple over or, you, you know, you're seeing a fight where one person's in reverse, you can tell that it's there's no CGI. It's, it's being done for you in front of your eyes. And that really, like, even during the highest heights of the very high concept of the film really like settles you into the groundedness of it. Like it makes it feel real, even though we're playing with time and all these immense amount of, you know, uh, these high concept ideas. It's worth pointing out. Sorry. It's worth pointing out as well that, um, of course, Unhinged did the same thing. It wasn't CGI. Russell Crowe really was that old and fat. It's, it's amazing. (laughs) It's good. 2020 this year. It's good that people are doing stuff in camera. It's nice. I know. Exactly. Exactly. Anyway, however, here we go. However, I didn't love it. Uh, I've, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it all lands. And I think my major criticism of it is that the ideas are great and the execution is beautiful, but at times it's so convoluted and quick. Like it doesn't settle into any moments. So sometimes you're not even sure what you're supposed to care about and there's no focus on character. And I feel like it misses the mark in terms of what the film should be about in terms it, it, in fact i kind of feel like it's not about anything and it's not about the characters in fact the fact that he's calling him the protagonist tells you how much he cares about how in deep he wants to go with this main character i really wish that they'd sold me on the friendship between neil and the protagonist because we'll get to this properly but the ending in which neil has to feels like he has to sacrifice himself i didn't feel the devastation that I, I think you should feel when a friend is about to do something awful. I, I And there's moments as well, like the um, the interrogation scene where one of them's talking in reverse and one of them's talking in, uh, in real time. I didn't feel the tension in that scene. I feel like he just never lets us settle into the emotion. He just lets stuff happen really quickly. Um, and it feels like the breakneck pace sort of sort of breaks it sometimes for me. But yeah, I love all the ideas and all the rest of it. But yeah, I, I feel like some of it just doesn't land emotionally. Okay, so let me leap in here and say that we're not we're not actually a million miles apart from each other. I've only seen the film once, and um, I had been in the cinema a few times beforehand. I was in the cinema to see Unhinged. I saw New Mutants on the same day. Um, so the thing I loved, I saw what this a day. in. Yeah, I know. <laughs> The Lord giveth and the Lord take. Actually, New Mutants wasn't terrible. It's not. It's not. It's not terrible. It's. It is what it is. It's three years old, but it's not terrible. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. Um, uh, I sat there in the cinema. It was big screen, big gen, nice social distancing, masks on, all the rest of it. And I loved that because I have missed that so much. I have really, really missed being in the cinema. I loved the fact that I felt like you know it's Christopher Nolan, and I trust Christopher Nolan, and I trust Christopher Nolan to trust me. I trust Christopher Nolan to trust his audience to, to keep up. Okay. I saw and- uh, The Dark Knight and Inception. And then I saw Tenet. Like so, I exclusively lately have only seen Christopher. Nolan only be watching in the Chris Nolan. Yeah. Okay. So, 
you know, I was, I really enjoyed the experience and I've only seen it once and I'm going to go back and see it again. And the reason I'm going to go back and see it again is firstly, because I enjoyed it. And secondly, because I was completely on top of the, the, the nuts and bolts of the plot until the halfway point. And then during the second half of the film, there were many points when I found myself going, hang on, hang on. Why, why is he going for it? He's going, sorry, why is that? How exactly does an inverse bullet work? What's the, the thing? So I, but whilst I was watching it, I was thinking all the time, I'm sure that a second viewing will, will solve these issues. And the more I thought about it, the more I came to the following conclusion. Um, there's stuff that I really, really love in there. Uh, you and I had talked before because you had said this thing about I, I, I have the feeling that the whole film may be a palindrome. And in fact, the palindromic acts in the film are the best things. I think, for example, the car chase one way and then the car chase the other way is lovely. That's classic Nolan. I think that works really beautifully. However, during the the final battle, I did, despite the fact that they actually stop and say this this half's going that way and that half's going that way, and I think at one point they even tag them, you know, this is blue team and red team or whatever it is. I did find myself watching battle scenes, thinking, "Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. why is why is that, is that one going forward and that one going back? I'm sorry, I can't quite get a handle on which way round those things are working." But that's fine because I thought, okay, I you know I know that all this adds up and I know that it will all make sense. Um, I found it quite hard to. I found it quite hard to engage with the plot of the painting that was the forgery that had to be got out of the vault because otherwise he would destroy her reputation because she might have known, but she See, didn't. This, I'm going to pause you for a second, Mark, because even then, like, this is how quickly all the plot moves. That's not what they're doing, but I'm not, I don't think you're wrong for thinking that's what they're doing. They are tricking her into thinking that they're going to get the painting out of the out of the vaults but because there's something in the free ports that they know sator is hiding and they don't know what it is and it turns out to be that turnstile thing the thing that sends you forwards and backwards but they they're using her to be able to get into the free port to find out what it is so actually this is what i mean about like even the basic plot points sometimes are difficult to follow Okay, fine. Well, you, you, then, as I said, I have to see it again. Did you get that the first time round? Not at all. So the first okay. time I watched it, th- th- there's a moment in my review that I put on YouTube where I said, there's a bit, the first time I watched it where I missed maybe one piece of dialogue and I didn't know what they were doing for about 10 minutes. Yeah, and that okay. is, that's that's the bit. I was like, I don't know why they're breaking into this this, this free port. I, and that, sh- that should be basic stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this brings me on to a second point, which is, there is there is an issue with the sound, and I I I have had enough people now. To it wasn't just me. I mean, I know that I'm an old man and you're a young boy, but if both <laughs> of us had trouble with the no, I mean, you know, it's it's true. As you get older, your top end hearing goes. It's also true that as you get older, background noise makes dialogue less distinguishable. But it's also true that cinema has ways of dealing with that, which is to do with the sound balance. And the fact that the sound mixing is, issue has happened yeah, on a global scale. I've it has from America, Australia and here. The, I had a, I had a message issue. I had a message this morning from uh, Andy Godfrey, who is the, ch- I'm, I'm not just saying this, who is the chairman of the Mark Kermode Appreciation Society. Yes, such a thing exists. I'm sorry, nobody finds that more crazy than I do, who said that several of, several of their members are, go- are specifically going to subtitle screenings because they, they're missing the dialogue. And the problem is that when you have something which is so uh, heavy in information, in every, which there is no such thing as a casual throwaway comment. I mean, there really isn't. You know, Nolan has worried over this script for, you know, for however long it is. You can't have stuff going... And you go, what? 
I don't know whether he just said, pass me a cup of coffee, or, you know, we're not going into that vault to get the painting, we're going to get something else. So that is an issue. The other thing that is an issue, and I think this is at the this is the root of my, you know, quite beyond saying, I really enjoyed it, and I will go and see it again, and I'm still a big Christopher Nolan fan. I have many questions about the film. But the fact that what you just said about, you know, they're not going to do that, they're going to do this, right? In any other circumstance, I would go, wow, but I didn't. And you saw, I mean, you di- I mean, you just told me something that I actually hadn't clicked and I didn't. And you know, the reason I didn't is this. I, all my questions about the film are mechanical questions. They are... They are to do with how did that and that and that and that and that and that and that. Now, since we did our last podcast on um, uh, on uh, on Nolan, and we talked about the prestige, which I think you and I both hold in very high esteem, and somebody uh, somebody sent me a note saying, "I'm amazed that you didn't talk about this theory about the prestige," and they sent me a link. I'm sorry I hadn't seen it because I'm an old guy, right? It was somebody who'd written a piece, or I think many people have written this piece. The, the the cloning machine doesn't work. The whole that's all that's a MacGuffin. The cloning machine does not work. There aren't any clones. There is a double, and there is and they drew this whole thing about you know the, the all the stuff that the, the the characters say about you're looking in the wrong place. You, you know the whole thing about that you know with the, with the Chinese guy with the you know holding the, the act is off stage. Okay, the um. Everything about that discussion is saying you're looking in the wrong place. You're looking in the wrong place. You're looking in the wrong place. Now, here's the thing. I read the essay or the the, the video pieces or whatever. I did a whole, I spent like, I lost a, a few hours of my life reading these stories about how this is the, the solution to prestige. What's brilliant I is I love this. that Mark Kermode is now getting into internet theories. I'm and sorry. Reading, you're going to be no, on Reddit next. No, no, no I love I, it. I do no, the same thing. Okay. But no, but here's what's important, Jack. I What I think is that, that the discussion that you're having about the prestige is which of a number of truths is true. And the brilliant thing about the prestige is it's making you ask that exactly. It's making you ask those questions and you can read it in a number of different ways, as opposed to read it in a number of different ways. It's the same people who want to look at the end of inception and find out what the definitive answer is because he's wearing that wedding ring. It means it's real. And because Michael, they're they're looking for the definitive answer when they're missing the feeling and the emotion of it. But the key to it, Jack, is this. Those are all philosophical discussions. Okay, how do you interpret this? How do you interpret that? They are not mechanical discussions. This means that, that means this, this means that. And my problem with um, Tenet, for all the stuff that I liked about it and that I would recommend people go and see it, and I'm going to go and see it again, is I don't don't think I care. Um, And the the reason that I don't is that what I don't, that sounds terribly dismissive, but it hasn't got me on an emotional level. Because I'm not wondering about the ideas. I'm not feeling like with Inception, I was like walking around in a dream for days after Inception. I mean, that whole idea of falling down into dream states and going deeper and deeper really got to me. There's a million things wrong with Interstellar. I still have this feeling about the moment when they get back to the space and time, you know, and they've been there for longer than they should have been and everything's moved on. I have, you know, I know that we have disagreements about which Batman film is the best. I cried at the end of The Dark Knight Rises. Um, 
you know these and the, you know the question about okay well you know the, did, did he set the thing did he not did he actually die did he not and we had the long discussion about you know the ending is it real the point is that's a philosophical discussion it's not a mechanical discussion and i think the problem for me with tenet is firstly that some of it is incomprehensible because you can't hear the dialogue secondly some of it is incomprehensible because it's very complicated and you have to see it twice which is lovely because that's like a little puzzle thing but i'm not going back to see it to wonder what it means i'm going back to see it again to wonder how it was like taking a watch apart and going oh okay that's yeah really it interesting. feels to me like nolan has made a really nice graph like he's he's gone like, <laughs> look at the way i've made this work like yeah like he's gone look at look look at how impressive that is and we're like yeah i know but why should i care and that leads me like very nicely onto the fact that i'm a huge fan of Inception, and actually, since I've rewatched it since our podcast, Batman Begins is taking a character study and baking it into an action film, especially Inception, which is, for all intents and purposes, I think is a therapy film. I think that Ellen Page is essentially playing Dom Cobb's therapist. She's there for every emotional turn. She asks all the right questions. Their relationship is not dissimilar to the one you would have with a therapist where he's telling her his story. Even the moment when he says, they think I killed her. And then there's a beat and she and then he says, thanks for not asking whether or not I did. That feels like a therapy office. And so it's and, and to, you know, to sum it up, it's a story about someone processing their trauma, about somebody coming to terms with the fact that they feel guilt. That's what his big moment is. He goes, I feel guilt like he feels guilt and he feels responsible. And it's about accepting that responsibility for his wife's death. That's the journey of inception. And I think the more and more that time goes on. Leonardo DiCaprio probably deserves a lot of credit for why Inception is like that. Because I, the more and more you read about it, the more and more you read that Leonardo DiCaprio spent a lot, a lot of time with Christopher Nolan, making sure that the emotional resonance of the character was there. Because why else is Leonardo DiCaprio going to do your action film? He doesn't care. He was, he's an actor. Like, he's a, he's a Hollywood star who only does stuff where he's able to be a character and do an acting. <laughs> so, in this film... It's just Christopher Nolan at the height of his power, casting people like that aren't as the major, major star level as Leonardo DiCaprio, who can't throw their weight around, who can't challenge Christopher Nolan. And so they're going to go, of course, I'm going to do Christopher Nolan's film. And actually, John David Washington and Robert Pattinson and everybody in the cast are bringing their A-game. They're all great in it. Pattinson's so charming. I love how he's single-handedly bringing back the word blimey. Like, that is so good. And John David Washington is so such a presence, so so charismatic. And I agree with you, though. This is what I'm getting to, is that I think it's a film not... I don't think Nolan cares about the emotion. I think, like I say, he's made a very nice graph. And it's a film full of Easter eggs to do with, ah, you see what I'm doing? So, like, here's something... I don't know if you know this. Go on. So, do you know what a Sator square is? No. Okay. So if you want to quickly Google a Sator square, everybody everybody listening to this, yes. Google a Sator square if you don't know what this is, right? Uh, Sator, S-A-T-O-R. Correct. That is the name of the villain. Yeah, Sator square. Okay, Sator square. So here we go. The Sator square... Or, okay, so here we go. This is from the, from the Wikipedia entry. The Sator square, or Rotas square, which appears to be the word Sator backwards. Did you know that? 
The Sator yes. square is also Carry got on, right. Keep going. Okay, keep going, keep going. Sorry, I'm so sorry. Is a word square containing a five-word Latin palindrome. The earliest form has rotas at the top line, but in time the version with Sator on the top line became dominant. It's a five by five square made up of five letter words, thus consisting twenty-five letters in total, all derived from the eight Latin letters. Okay, fine. And the one in the middle is tenet. Okay, fine. Okay, read I- all of them. Read all of them. Read all the words. Okay, Sator, Arepo. Okay, tenet. Opera Rotas. Okay, okay so fine. Yeah. So now, did, does, does, does everybody know that? Uh, well, it's it's kind of making its way into okay, the, into the consciousness now. Okay, so this but, is me hearing um, this for the first time, Jack. So I, you know, which so. I'm glad. I'm because I, I, th- this is the thing: is that like you're going to go, oh, cool, and that's all you're going to say because there's nothing deeper there. Okay, so Sator is the name of the villain. It's the name of uh, Kenneth Branagh. Arepo is the name of the forgery artist. Tenet, obviously, is the name of the organisation. Opera is where it starts. And Rotas is the name of the company that uh, Sator is, is, is the head of, right? So That's nice. That's nice. That's nice. And then all the way through the film as well, there's lots of... I'm sure there's more that I haven't found, but they crash a plane that is a 747, and 747 is a palindrome. We see John David Washington doing pull-ups, and pull-up is a palindrome, and also a pull-up looks the same when you put it in forward and in reverse. Oh, oh. that's quite nice. Yeah, that's very quite, good. Very quite good. nice, isn't it? So, yeah, Cool. Uh, everything in the film is kind of like, oh, they're nice little little things that you've thought of there, but it doesn't make it any deeper, and it doesn't make me go, oh, wow, I didn't see it like that before. And another thing as well, like, uh, the film is called Tenet, and at the end of the movie, they have to go 10 days into the past, and it's 10 days, and it's 10 minutes forward, and it's 10, 10 minutes, minutes forward. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that's right. So, like, it's, 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 there's lots of things like that. My problem is that the film Arrival does a similar thing with time where you think you're seeing one thing and actually you realise it ends up in a different place in the timeline, but because of the way it's been presented to you, you feel like you've been duped. You've been tricked into thinking that like the beginning was the end. Um, And I think that Tenet doesn't... Tenet tries to do that, but doesn't root it in anything emotional. And not to be a script doctor, but I can't help but do this... But if the film, because because the film also is about John David Washington, I just love the fact that you're like, about to you're about to give to, you're about to give Christopher Nolan script notes. Go ahead. I hope I hope he listens to this. I really do. I and so Nolan, hope he does. If you so are hope he doesn't. This, I'd love to collaborate with you on this. This would be so fun, Mr. Nolan. Like, if you are listening to this, I'm a, I'm very sorry. I have no control. <laughs> but the film is about John David Washington's the protagonist, like learning to. To, to um, he has certain tenets, like he has certain beliefs and faiths that he needs to question and learn new ways of looking at the world. At the end, his seemingly, as we think of him, best friend is about to sacrifice himself, and John David Washington kind of doesn't believe that he has to because he's like, "We're here, and it happened. I saw it happen." And and uh, Neil is like, "Can't take that chance. I I have to go and make sure that this does this this works the way it works." So why why doesn't John David Washington's the protagonist believe that time works differently to him. And then at the end, it becomes this devastating, heart-wrenching scene where he doesn't believe that he has to go sacrifice himself. And yet he's going to anyway, and he's going to let him go. 
Like, and these two people who have fundamental differences in how they look at the world, it actually would just be two nerds talking about how time travel works in a movie, which I quite like. It's like jumping, taking that from a jumping off point. The idea can of I just, can I just say, people who... Can I just say, Jack, it's kind of what we're doing. Just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, that's what I mean, is that if, if the two characters were that and they had different ways, you know, because all time travel movies do it now. Like in Endgame, they talked about how time travel worked. But what if you had like two characters who got along really well and they fundamentally disagreed on how time travel works in a world where they can time travel. So somebody believes that you can change things and some people, somebody believes that you can't and things are predetermined and somebody believes that you, they're not and all this sort of stuff. And at the end, when, they, when he has to sacrifice himself, doesn't that make it harder to watch? Doesn't that make it more emotional? I, I mean, I think it does. And I just don't know why he doesn't lean into that stuff more. I think he thinks the mechanics are enough. So I mean, yeah, I I, I like them. I mean, there actually there is actually a line in the film in which uh, a character, I think it's Thomas Posey's character, says, uh, you, you know, you don't don't try and understand it, just feel it, and and that is absolutely um, it's Austin Powers, and it's the you know, and I suggest and that I goes suggest, for you all too. That goes for you all too, exactly. And I kind of to the point that it must absolutely be a joke, but of um, but yeah, except that that there is an issue with that joke in a film in which it is so timey-wimey, which is, no, hang on. That's like, I mean, I was talking to, to, to name drop, but this, is, this isn't as big a name drop as you would do, but I was talking to Doug Trumbull about Silent Running. And I said, why is there gravity on the outside of the ship? And he went, yeah... And I said, okay, but that was it, you know. It's like, it, yeah, I know. It's I sort just- of take issue with the film, though, saying don't try and understand no, exactly. it, feel but it. I, I take, but then you I, try and make me to understand it <laughs> i know so that's what i'm saying there's not after the gag in austin powers it goes okay fine let's just no don't care but you can't say that in tenet and then spend the rest of the film taking it seriously that's the thing you can't make a joke about don't try and understand it just feel it also more crucially, you can't make that joke when the problem with the film is that you don't feel it. What you are trying to do is to understand it. I mean, if, I, I, am I am I remembering that line correctly? It is something it is, like, don't try, you do it. It is okay. exactly, don't it is, try okay. to understand it, feel it. Feel it. It's exactly well, that. And so, in a way... I that wish would, it did make me feel it. I, know, I wish I didn't it, care. It's like, the, the, okay, maybe the great genius of Tenet is that it's a film that reviews itself. It's that, you know, that line is the issue. It's that you, the film want, you know, it's demanding that you understand. It's demanding that you keep up. But the problem is you, you don't feel it. And the reason you don't feel, I mean, I, I'm going to go back to this again. Earlier on in our discussion, you told me something that is fundamentally important to the structure of, to the story, to the understanding of Tenet. And I went, oh, yeah. So the wow. thing is, actually, the, the, the Sator Square, if you know, if that's you a nice little it, thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice little thing, but actually the first versions of it that were found, if you on the small amount of reading that I've done on it... On Wikipedia. Apparent, <laughs> apparently it started off as a little bit like graffiti or like a meme. Like it's okay. a little bit like that you just find it on a wall and it'd just be like a clever little thing that people would do on things. And that's kind of how I feel about the film is that he's not trying to take it and go, oh, oh, it's, it's a palindrome thing. And the film itself is a palindrome. Oh, no, it's not. The film isn't a palindrome. It's got things, and a palindrome, is, I suppose, means run backwards, but the newer meaning of a palindrome is that it's the same forward and backwards. But you yeah, don't learn a... that and go, oh, that lends itself to a deeper meaning in the movie. It no, is so, just so, what okay. it is. It's like Hang it's on, but a, pa- okay. it's like... a palindrome has to be the same forward and backwards, doesn't it? That's not a new meaning. That's original... what palindrome means. The original, I think, meaning of it means to run backwards. 
Oh, well, I didn't know that. I've always thought that palindrome simply means the same forward and backwards. So it's... I which, is, that, I, which is, uh, you know... I was, thinking of the, I was thinking of the Monty Python joke when he says it was a, it was a pun. No, not a pun. It was a palindrome. He says it's not a palindrome. The palindrome of Bolton would be not lob. And uh, I'm just thinking <laughs> when, when you were talking about arrival, and actually that's a, that's a very astute point. Incidentally, you know, arrival, the palindrome of arrival would be La Riva. Um, that, that brilliant thing in arrival in which what happens, incidentally, plot spoiler, if you haven't seen arrival, where have you been? Um the, that brilliant thing with that with arrival that the beginning and the end are the same, but when you revisit them at the end of the film, they have completely changed, even down to the point that the character that you're looking at is a different character now that is a and also i mean that is in the in the original short story, which is so so brilliant and it's such a brilliant adaptation of that an arrival is a film which is emotionally satisfying in terms of that time thing. And the whole point about Arrival is, which is very Kurt Vonnegut and very Tralfamadorian, that you don't see time as a, as a single linear progression. What you do is you see time as a, as a space, as a shape, as a, as a thing in which you can look at. And, you know, Kurt Vonnegut in, um, I think it's in Slaughterhouse-Five, he does this brilliant thing that the, 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 the Madorians describe the, uh, the human perception of time as like being on a train track sitting in a in a carriage with a tube stuck in front of your eye so the only thing you can see is right in front of you as it's passing by but actually the real view of time is that you step off the train and you look at the track and you see the track and there's a brilliant bit when billy pilgrim says well that's you know it's incredible because you don't have any wars or anything and they go well, no, no, we still have wars. We, we still have the same as everything else. We just, but we just see time in a different way. So one of the things that Tenet is dealing with, that thing about what's happened has happened. I like that motif that, you know, what's happened has happened. It's not to do with going back and changing things, although it kind of is, although it kind of isn't. But none of it has the emotional punch of the, the, the getting back to the beginning of arrival and going, oh, you know, and you walk out and you just think, I just want to go straight back in again and watch it again now. And actually the thing with Arrival is it's better second time round when you know, because you see, you know, it's almost like you're seeing the film in the way that the, that the aliens see time. You're yeah. seeing the whole yeah. picture it, it in does, front it of you. It changes the, it changes your perception of time, which is yeah. what, yeah. And, and I think actually Arrival is dealing with it in a much more poetic way, because when we think about, moments in our lives there are flashes and it's dreamlike and that's how what's what, what films are emulating whereas i think nolan is looking at it like the timeline on a on on in an editing program like what's happened has happened we're, we're getting to this point and so actually i think he's doing almost like a fourth wall breaking film thing my friend rosiana said i think what he's done is created a film which is trying to emulate the uh feeling of re-watching a film so actually, instead of going back through time, they're going back through the film. And so when you watch it a second time, what's happened has happened. And then they're just trying to reverse what you've already seen, but they can't do it because it's it's a film. And so even like the, the bit at the end when Robert Pattinson says, I'll see you at the beginning, when you watch it the second time, you realise that the guy who saves him in the opera is Robert Pattinson. Yeah, yeah. So, that I did That I did get. <laughs> yeah, but like, 
when you that there's there's those sort of elements where like you don't actually get to see that moment again, but if you were to rewatch it, you understand that we're going round and round and round and round. Let me ask you a question. There's a, a Girls on Film podcast recently in which they uh, discuss the role of women in the film, and I have to say they discuss it largely negatively. The feeling is that the the women characters in general and uh, the character played by Elizabeth Debicki in particular are an indication of Nolan's failure to be able to write good women characters. Now, I should confess that, um, you know, being an old fart that I am, while I was watching the film, I actually didn't... I didn't have a problem with 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 that um listening to the podcast i was thinking oh that's it that's really interesting you know what why wasn't that more of a problem for me and i think to, it says something about who i am you know i am an old straight white guy watching a film that kind of took me back to some extent to watching the bond movies in the 1960s and 1970s and i you know and i just kind of, i was watching it I, I was more worried about the timey-wimey stuff than i was about anything else and also the fact that it is a a diverse casting you know you have got john david washington you have got dimple capardia you have got um clemence poesy you know you've you've got a, an international cast um but I was listening to the podcast and and uh, and thinking, okay, that's I, and I've I, and it. I know that they are not the only people that feel this. What was you? Did you have any uh, feeling about the, the 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 female roles in the film? Yeah, um, I rolled my eyes as soon as we met. I think is the name Priya. Is that is that the uh, the name of the arms dealer? Yes. When we met her and her introductory line was, mm, "It's actually me, and I'm a woman." I was like, okay, like. A bit weird, like to just make a thing out of that. Um, I, I'll start with positives that I do think that it's nice that. So, in terms of like uh, subtext of it, I like that Elizabeth Debicki and uh, Kenneth Branagh and their child, who she loves her son. She ah, oh, doesn't she love her son so much? <laughs> I like that on a subtextual level, it's a little bit like God, Mary, and Jesus, who you've got the guy who's brought a son into the world knowing that the world is going to end and he's going to kill his only son like and he works as a symbol for the the son works as a symbol for the future um i, I like all this stuff that's, that's going that. on in it well i i don't think you i don't think it's intending for, it's just something i pulled out of it that, like, no that's you know, fine like, yeah great great cool yeah there's just a bit where sator said you know it was, it was a pleasure or something like to bring in a a son into the world knowing it was a world that was going to end. That's a little bit like the cruel God who sent his only son to earth to die for our sins. Like it's, it's a little bit like that. And she's, yeah. Uh, and so, um, and I like that it's all quite kind of traumatic in terms of how she's been treated and, and that the film is about like how what's happened has happened and you need to accept what now what, what's happening now and she's taking control of that and all the rest of it but I do think that again it's it's sort of she is defined by the men in her life and that's a little bit like it's a little bit thin but then again so is everything in the film like I, I could focus specifically on the women and be like yeah their roles are very thin but I actually think in a way she's kind of the most defined character because when I think about Sator I'm like oh so he is he very very world. very very yeah. bad and you yeah. know he and is he very very bad because because he's got he cancer sounds and like this he's gonna die everyone's gonna die but also and I was the like but also the fact that he does that thing about when he uh, when he is going to do something very 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 bad, he talks very quietly because he's very 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 bad man. 
Because I do not mind saying things no, very calmly, even though they are very bad. Right now, we are too busy influencing the American election to uh, really care about ending the entire world. But uh, anyway, next time you will see me with an outrageous French accent and a big mustache. In the meantime, <laughs> here I am doing Russian. Thank you. <laughs> I welcome. I really, I, 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 I'm a big fan. I would have rather you were cast. I, think. I love, I love the performance. Again. I love the performance because it was just like, uh, okay, uh, Ken. I think that's not quite sinister enough. Could you, could you? I'm on twelve. I'm on twelve, Chris. Yeah. Okay, yeah. just, just. Yeah. <laughs> that his his motivation. I like that there are people in the future who are manipulating him as a weak man to destroy the world for his own stupid ego reasons because they're, they're using him. Everyone's using each other in some way. But I also was like, why, why is it? Uh, uh? Like, and, and we also, it also plays out like a little twist before the final act. Like, oh, uh, he, because he's got incurable cancer. It's almost like Nolan forgot. And then in the <laughs> screenplay was like, oh yeah, incurable cancer. And, <laughs> Uh, why? Why couldn't we have known that from the start? Like, like you know, like the Bond villains that are the best Bond villains, like Le Chiffre cries blood. Like, yes. Why couldn't we have known that the villain from the start is dying of cancer? Like, I don't understand why that was left as a reveal. Uh, on, getting back to the, the subject of, of the women, I think the, the key thing that you said there, and incidentally, if, if you haven't listened to it, do check out the, the Girls on Film podcast to all the listeners. It is well, it's, it's, it's a great podcast and it's, it's you know, it's really good discussions and it's, uh, you know, we, we've... An entirely we've, different perspective. Entirely different perspective, but, you know, I, the, the same kind of rambling enthusiasm that we have here. And uh, so do subscribe to that. It's a terrific podcast. And, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, Anna Smith, who stands in when I do when I go off when she does the, uh, you know, the, the BBC News channel and you know uh wendy Ide and kate muir who i um, very, you know greatly admire so give that podcast a listen i um i tend to agree with your point that thin characters in a movie full of thin characters isn't actually exceptional and i think that funnily enough for my money the only rounded character in the whole film is probably robert pattinson because he's the one who gets a is allowed to have the kind of um uh, an arc which moves his character. I mean, I think John David Washington is the most brilliant actor. I think he's great, but it, there isn't a whole bunch of backstory. There isn't a whole bunch of character development. I like that. I, I like the fact that um, that the, the the arc of Robert Pattinson's character is actually the most interesting arc. I also think Robert Pattinson is great in it, but uh, I th- I think most of the characters are written on fairly sort of cipher roles. You know, Clemens Poesy who literally appears to explain the plot. I mean, she is Basil Exposition. She does the thing. She turns up and she explains the plot with this totally deadpan... Yeah, I like... She she almost seems bored talking about it. (laughs) Which is... I mean, that's such an odd thing, isn't it? Because it is, and they do... They discuss this on the the Girls on Film podcast, and one of the theories that they come up with is that she's doing it because she realises that the dialogue is balderdash, and so she's going, this is what I've got to deal with? Okay, now, I... I, I don't buy that, incidentally. I, I don't think anybody ever sabotages the thing. I think somebody is doing the role to the best of their... I think they're doing the best Do you know what I way. think it is? Go on. Because if you intellectually sort of like... Because, again, you don't feel this film. Yeah, If you, you think intellectually it. think about it, like, that's not the first time she's told him about this. 
Like, oh, right, okay, fine. There we go. You see, that makes more sense. I, I mean, I actually didn't have a problem with it. I also think there's an argument that, that um, uh, you know, people have complained about mansplaining. Um, I think uh, that... Uh, you can't, you, you know, you can't complain about mansplaining and then have a Clemens Poesy character basically doing what is mansplaining. I think it's a film in which everybody explains everything to everyone um, on, on, on that way. And I also think there is something about that character, which is that she's deliberately emotionless, that she is... You know, I think she's playing a character who is com- who is just looking at this in a completely um, kind of flat way. That I think I think that's her character. I think it makes sense, and I didn't have any problem with it at all. I thought that worked perfectly fine, and I thought, well, good. I'm glad that the, this is being explained to him. I think <clears> it would be a bigger problem, like you just said, if, if it was the, the other way around. Characters, yeah. Exactly. Were, were incredibly full and characterful, and like if, if, like I say, if the emotion was there between John David Washington and Robert Pattinson, and their and their friendship was really developed, and I was heartbroken at the end when they had when he had to die, then I would have been like, yeah, the women characters are a bit thin, but I think everybody is a bit thin. Yeah, yeah. All I have for you is a word. Tenet. It'll open the right doors. Some of the wrong ones too. Use it carefully. To do what I do, I need some idea of the threat we face. As I understand it, we're trying to prevent World War Three. I'm not saying I'm again here. No. Something worse. I gather you have an interest in a certain Russian national. Mike's bring me in. Um, let me ask you one the thing that I, that I really liked the first time round, and I, uh, uh, you know, constantly, I often misremember things. <clears throat> There's a scene in the film with Michael Caine, okay? And Michael Caine, who's worked with Chris Nolan, and he's kind of been like a talisman for Chris Nolan. And his character in the film is called Sir Michael. And I've only seen it once. Am I right in thinking that the last thing that is said in that scene is, goodbye, Sir Michael? That is correct, yeah. That is the, that's the last thing that okay. John David Washington says to him, yeah. Okay, so so here's the thing. So I've subsequently looked this up, and you know there are three other movies with Michael Caine uh, apparently, you know, due to be coming out that are in post production now already. Okay, but they felt like something. I mean, bear in mind, Christopher Nolan doesn't make movies very often. Okay, and when he does make them, every single thing is is uh, you know is kind of not together. I thought for a moment, and I'm I'm clearly wrong because I thought maybe it was only me that it was like. Christopher Nolan was saying goodbye Sir Michael in as much as that this is the last time that they are going to work together. You know, not because Sir Michael Caine isn't going to carry on doing stuff, but there, there, was, it, there was just this moment. I honestly took my breath away. I mean, it's not an accident. Michael Caine was on like, the screen. You have somebody called no. Sir Michael, uh, played by Sir Michael. Maybe Sir it Michael. is a, an admission from Nolan being like, and this is, you know, for me, like letting go of, of this collaboration. Because he has described Michael Caine as his good luck charm. He has. He absolutely has. And I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm reading something into it. it, it I'm, I'm sure. But here's the weird thing. The weird thing is, I, it, it was a, it was a one moment that I, I kind of had a little gasp. It was like, 
Oh, because every, you know, you've, Chris, Michael Caine has been such a big part of Christopher Nolan's films. And now he'll go on and he'll be the starring role in the next Christopher Nolan <laughs> film. But there was, there was a moment in, in it that I just thought, because you, those things don't happen accidentally. Yeah, but and I think maybe line, even retroactively, the last line if, if that is the last thing that Michael Caine does with Christopher Nolan, that moment weirdly might become the most emotional moment in the film. <laughs> But wouldn't it be wouldn't it be great if you know if you when people have collaborations and they work together and you know they make wouldn't it be great if you were Michael Caine right and you'd made these films I mean even Tenet with all its problems it's a really important film okay there's nothing that Michael Caine has done with Christopher Nolan that isn't really important and wouldn't it be great if that central relationship was ended with the words goodbye Sir Michael yeah and I I hope it is that what a love that's even given me little goosebumps just to think about it. <laughs> but then he, you know it, as I said it will now turn out that the next the next film will actually centre on that character <laughs> and it will be a Michael Caine starer and he'll go yeah I heard that Kermode saying that what a load of old bollocks <laughs> <laughs> I do like that Michael Caine has uh, he's tweeted saying that Tenet is the best action film ever made well there we go and again that's what i mean it's like you know so if you've, you've made all these great movies I mean, and you know we all know that there's enough christopher nolan films in which the most emotionally engaging moment is something that michael kane sir michael kane sir michael says and wouldn't it be great if he went and there we go i have capped it off with the best action film of all time 
Do you, do you have your top ten from when we did the the three hour? I have, and I think it's in a slightly different order now because on different days it doesn't change anything about how I feel about them. But I think that you know since revisiting certain ones, and I just think on different days I'm going to think different things, and the next time you ask me, it's going to be in a different order as well. But yeah, I've got an order, but it's a bit different from last time. Yeah. Okay. So. Um... Well, shall I go first? Because my order is still the same, although I think that we are we are both because we understand, you know, all top tens are essentially silly. Um, uh, so I am going to put it in at number nine. Wow, okay, you so, put it right, right near the bottom. So that means for me it would now be 11 is following, 10 is uh, insomnia, nine is... Uh, Tenet, eight Interstellar, seven Dunkirk, six Dark Knight, five Dark Knight Rises, four Memento, three Batman Begins, two Prestige, and one Inception. Although I, you know, Prestige and Inception, I, I keep saying they they wibble around for me. So in my top eleven, that it would be at, it would be at number nine. You give me your top eleven now with your rejigged configuration. So my thinking this time is like, what would I like to watch? If rather than like preparing to to do the podcast and figuring out like what I think is the best film. Now I'm thinking like, if I was going to put on a Christopher Nolan film, which ones am I most likely to want to put on? And so now I would say that it goes, the bottom is the dark Knight rises and then insomnia, which is a big change because I, although I think it's good, I don't think it's one I really want to put on. No. And again, and as, following, as we did say before, the thing is insomnia is very close to the original film. It's it's kind of it's further down for me because because it is a it is a you know in many ways a kind of facsimile of, a, of another film. I think that because the Dark Knight Rises is such a massive disappointment to me in terms of the Dark Knight trilogy, that's that's why it's at the bottom. But then Insomnia is like it's the least Christopher Nolan-y film. So like if I want to watch a Christopher Nolan film, I don't really yeah. So the Dark Knight Rises, Insomnia, following Interstellar, Tenet. The Prestige, Batman Begins, Memento, Dunkirk, Inception, The Dark Knight. So I've actually moved a few things around. Okay. Uh, and I put Interstellar a bit higher this time because if I think about Interstellar, although I have lots of frustrations about it, if I think about some, like you, you convinced me last time, like some of the beauty in the cinematography, some of the, I mean, the moments that stand out, like the the water planet, the the bit when he comes back and it's been thirty years, like all that stuff is just so incredible that it deserves to be it's celebrated for what it does right as well and i'm in a better mood about it today but i think i would put it at so tenet lands at number one two three four five six seven out of eleven well there we go you see seven and nine we're not um, we're not hugely different here and i've only seen it once and it may be that if i see it again well i will see it again when i see it again it may go up but i think you know understanding that these things are fluid we're both placing it in the second half of our favorites it's not made the top five for either of us has it yeah i'm hoping that the more i watch it the more i'm i'm accepting of what it is because i'm already finding myself like you know the moment in the in the first turnstile when he goes out and everything's in reverse for the first time i don't like the information dump that we get just before then like it just goes brief him and then she just goes all right you're not able to use your own air things are going to feel different the world's going backwards you aren't like i was like why haven't we been drip fed this for the first hour like why are we just getting given this right now and then also i think why isn't robert pattinson chasing him in the car and explaining it to him 
in a moment of tension. Like, why is he not, why are we not in another car chase? But Robert Pattinson this time is going, you can't change things. You can't do it. And he's like struggling to breathe in the car. And he's like, put the air on. The air is in the car. You can't breathe in, you know, it should be scarier. It should be like more emotional. And then because Robert Pattinson believes what's happened has happened, Pattinson should stop and let the car go. And then Robert Pattinson should be there. Like that bothers me so much. That moment when he crashes and the, and the car explodes. And then it just cuts to him hours later. Like, okay, I was like, you wouldn't write that. That's bad. That's bad. That's quite bad writing. Yeah, and it was, you know, the, the, the explanation of the hot, the hot, cold, forward, backward, hypertherm, you know, it was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, no, too much. All I <laughs> yes. need is a moment to see Pattinson there to help him. And I believe you. I believe that you got him out alive. I don't need to see how it happened. But that moment when it explodes, cuts to black, and then it opens up and he's somewhere else. It makes me think that... It's doing the same thing that Inception does, where it's like quite dreamy. Like we we end up in different places in the blink of an eye, and I'm like, but this doesn't make sense because we're not in a dream. <laughs> this is apparently really happening. Yes. I don't know. I've got so okay. many little problems with it, but I hope that the more I watch it, the more that I let them go. Uh, just before we we forget, you said early on, you said uh, John David Washington's character, who's called the protagonist. We'll talk about this later. We haven't talked about it. What were you going to say about that? Yeah, so uh, I think there's like an implication in the film. And I'm not saying he is setting up a sequel, but it feels like he's implying a wider world. Oh. Like we like we could like almost see John David Washington and Robert Pattinson's characters being like fully minority reports. Because there's a bit in the film when he's like, this is what we do. Like we stop things before they happen. Like, you know, there's almost like this little moment where he's excited about them doing the first one of them. And it feels a right. little bit like Robert Pattinson, Robert Pattinson is Martin McFly to John David Washington's Doc Brown. Because the first time in Back to the Future, when, because when, when you meet Martin McFly and Doc Brown, they're already friends and you don't know why, but then you realise the first time they meet is in 1955. So actually it's a little bit like seeing Back to the Future, but from Doc Brown's perspective, where the first time they meet, he doesn't know who he is and you know all the rest of it. So it feels like there could be a wider sort of universe there. But what I wanted to say about um, the protagonist is that, I mean, if this were setting up Nolan's franchise, this is Nolan's opportunity to name his James Bond and his Indiana Jones. And he called him the protagonist. The protagonist. Which is such, it maybe is the most Nolan thing. <laughs> I don't know, maybe my feeling about that was, it was like, um, he's called the protagonist and someone went, what's his name? He went, oh, he's the protagonist. Yeah. Went, oh, okay, yeah, but 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 in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a way that was a bit like, yeah, and he's, He's a protagonist. Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I, I have to say, I didn't know he was called the protagonist until it's in the cast list, is it? That's why. I mean, I just, I, I, I just watched the film, and then yeah, there's, there's a moment. Said, oh. I think it might be a couple of moments. There's one where he meets Elizabeth Debicki, and she says her name, and then he says the name of the artist, but it sounds like he's introducing himself, and she goes, "Oh, your name's this," and he goes, "No, that's the name of the art." So like, there's all these like yeah. trip hop moments. Yes, yeah. but, but there's no, there's no, there's no point at which somebody obviously says, "Oh, hello, Mister the Protagonist." So no, I watched the whole film. To not himself as that. Like he keeps saying, "I'm yeah. the protagonist," and all the rest. I'm the protagonist. It. Yeah, exactly. Um, but he's not. But, but that's. Another reason why I think it's like really Nolan is because, again, if you look at like the original definition, like from like Greek theatre of what the protagonist means, it means the person who is the actor, the writer, the director, the producer. All these things were 
labelled under the protagonist and then they were given out at a later date which is kind of in the twist that he's the person who sets up Tenet oh. it's kind of like that's what he is he is the person who is all of it until he decides to um, dish it all out I see oh that's cool okay I like that um, I like that again, much more than just thinking it's one of those like Nolan like eh wink and a nudge easter eggs again <laughs> but it's like eh it's not making me emotionally care about it anymore but it's another one of those like clever little things yeah I just think that we should just call him Bob just you know, because, <laughs> right. you know, just, just go. What's he called? He called Bob. Okay, uh, so right. it, that's a palindrome. It is a pun. There we go. That's just <laughs> <laughs> look. Um, thanks ever so much. It's been really interesting because I think that we are we are much more on the same page than I perhaps expected that we would be. I kind of think the whole world is on the same page about this film. There's a okay. few people that are like, "Wow," and there's most people are like, "I don't, I don't really." Uh, yeah, it was all right. You know, but then again, it's also. It's you know it's a moment. It's to do with going back to the cinema. How many times have you been in the cinema since lockdown ended, including preview um, screenings? So, so that would be four times: twice to see Tenet, and then Dark Knight and Inception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, did you love it? Did you love being back in there? Oh, totally. And and as soon as I sat down to watch the Dark Knight in the uh, the Empire Leicester Square, I was like, I'm home. I was yeah. like, this is it. Yeah, and that's it, it. And it weirdly felt normal straight away. That's it. It's I'm home is the feeling. That's absolutely it. I'm home. And uh, yeah, so, you know, I just, I, I really, and I, I'll say this again. I'm sorry, this sounds like a public service announcement. If you have an independent cinema that you have loved, then now is the time to support them. Now is the time. If you feel able, I understand that some people are still shielding, but if you feel able, they need your custom now more than ever. And I... You know, cinemas have had a really, really hard time, independent cinemas particularly, and, uh, you know, doubly so. And uh, we really, we're going to need them in the future. And I think right now they need us. And I have had nothing but positive experiences going to the cinema since I since I came back. So I do hope this is this is the beginning of something great. Jack, it's been... Um, it's been great catching up, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very pleased that we do seem to be largely on the same page. I look forward. To I know us- that people like it when we disagree, but I think that yeah. most people are going to be happy to hear that uh, we have similar feelings to. The- I'm sure most people listening to this are going to have similar feelings on Tenet and aren't looking for us to be massively praising it. I don't think that, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think that most people are feeling that way about it. Uh, and just to add to what you were just saying, is all about the cinemas. I have. Like I said, been back four times. I was three times in the in the Cineworld Empire Leicester Square, and once I luckily got to see Tenet in the BFI IMAX, which is the biggest screen in the UK. So good! And all the time that I've been there, I felt very safe, and everyone's been very spaced out and very aware of each other, and no one's no one's being silly and. Everyone's been very respectful and the cinema itself is taking good care of, of everybody. So I would also, as somebody who's done it, I would encourage you, if you can, to go and do, go, go back, go, go and enjoy yourself if you feel able to. That's a good note to end on. Uh, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please remember to subscribe. Also, visit our Patreon page where, if you're listening to this, you can see Jack and I having this discussion in full. What uh, a treat. What a treat it is. Jack is in his glamorous bedroom. I'm in my glamorous uh, shoe cupboard. And uh, thanks ever so much. Tell your friends. Do check out that Girls on Film podcast and subscribe to that as well because that's a great podcast and you know really deserves your support. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. Keep watching the skies. And before we talk about Tenet, just know that there is spoilers in this. That's the time travel joke. We do the Yay! beginning and the end. <laughs> <laughs>